What are these assets that can help our customers, one, stay on par with inflation, if not stay ahead of it? For us, it's really important. My company, in a sense, is uh, an expression of my personal beliefs and values. It's so important to build that trust. While we deliver our services over digital platforms, mobile app, website, and USSD. Welcome to season three of the Beyond Capital podcast. People always ask me, what is the secret sauce to marrying profit with purpose? We're back for another season to bring you the stories of successful leaders that are building and scaling purpose-driven businesses. I'm Eva Yazari, general partner of Beyond Capital Ventures. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We wanna show you how conscious leadership translates impact in all facets of a business and how it can show up in a company's operations, product, and culture sometimes unexpectedly. Whether you're a leader of a company, team, household, or just yourself, we hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired to take action every day. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Aiko Angodia. Aiko hails from Kampala in Uganda. He has a Master of Science degree in Mathematical Trading and Finance, from the Cass Business School in London, and a master's in applied mathematics and statistics from Stony Brook University. His experience is vast, having spent time with Stanbic Bank Uganda, followed by the Bank of Uganda as a research analyst, and then head of stress testing and risk modeling. Could use some of that now. He then joined the National Social Security Fund as a fixed income analyst and then Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. Today, he is the principal member of Quant East Advisory in Kampala, providing overall asset management advice to institutional investors, a member of the board of The Vision Group, a leading multimedia company in Uganda, and the founder and CEO of Zeno Technologies, and last but not least, CEO of Zeno Investment Management. Welcome, Aiko. It's so great to have you here on the show. Thank you very much. And thank you, Ed, for the introduction. I didn't know you knew, knew us so much about me, Ed. I know. I study hard. <laughs> Aiko, I know a lot about you because I'm lucky enough to be your investor. I think what, what drew me to having you join us in season three is that your background is so relevant for where we are today in the world. As Ed pointed out, you know, super relevant skills in in modeling, in forecasting, in economics, and in banking. And so with your background in these areas, let's dive in and just talk about what motivated you to start a company directed at individual investors who most likely don't have prior experience with investing. Yeah, so uh, thanks very much. The motivation really was... Uh, from a realization that uh, everyone that earns an income and is setting aside that income typically is setting aside that income to meet a financial obligation in the future. And so sometimes, of course, in setting aside that income, you probably would need to invest some of what you've saved 
But most people don't have the training, the experience, and even the time to look into uh, what they need to invest their savings in in order to achieve those future obligations. And so in just looking around was, okay, so if somebody actually needed guidance, needed just trusting professional guidance, where would they go? It wasn't as obvious. If they got that guidance uh, that says, okay, you should put some of your money in this asset, in that asset or the other asset or that combination of asset, how would they go about it? It wasn't so easy for anyone to say invest in a money market fund, in a bond fund, or even in equities organizer portfolios. And so it was, okay, so who typically would give this sort of guidance and who would provide this sort of products to the average person? It wasn't as obvious again. So just step back and said, you know what, I think there's an opportunity first to deliver value. That delivering value is in helping people just figure out what is, for example, retirement going to cost those 25 years or 20 years in retirement? What are they going to cost? And then working backwards to help people figure out what they need to do monthly in order to set aside money that they need to meet that retirement. And so it went on from there, just experimenting, building the first minimum viable product was just a financial planning or investment planning platform. Then subsequently, we realized, okay, now people have the guidance, but they need to execute, they need to act on that guidance. So we realized, okay, there are no funds to invest in. So we structured the funds ourselves. So we became a sort of vanguard fidelity. And so we got the necessary licenses to structure a money market fund, a bond fund, a domestic equity fund. And then subsequently, uh, we delivered that using technology to a broader audience. Why was that not in existence before you started Zeno? The way we look at it, and this is why it wasn't, the way we look at it is uh, people need to move money into the future right? And so the institutions that exist to help people move money to the future are typically investment firms, fund management companies, Mm -hmm. if you like. And a lot of these fund management companies are set up to provide services to well-organized institutional investors, traditionally pension funds, right? That are essentially organized at workplaces. However, if you needed to move money into the future, just retirement money, maybe you could use that vehicle if you're lucky enough to work for an employer that provides that. However, outside of that, it became very difficult. Why? Because it costs nearly the same amount of time, effort, and energy to advise an individual how to move their money into the future as it does an institution. Yet an individual doesn't cannot pay the institutional fund manager this sort of fees. And so the institutional fund managers just don't didn't serve that market segment and they left them on the side. Do you have any personal experiences having grown up in Uganda or even your observations in the US or Europe, you know, living in the US and the UK for your studies? that led you to realize that this was a kind of a missing product in the marketplace? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was uh, doing my doctorate program in Stony Brook, I never got to the end. When I was doing that program, I used to have a gig back in Uganda. So I'd fly back to Uganda to help a small retirement schemes, uh, pension schemes, organize their investment portfolios, 
outline their investment objectives and construct investment portfolios to meet those objectives while remaining within certain constraints. And so in doing that work, I started getting interest from individuals that initially used to work for those retirement schemes, but also that new people that work for those retirement schemes. And uh, they would say, be out saying, oh, I have the equivalent of $5,000 or $10,000 that I've saved up over the last five years. It's just sitting in a bank account. I would like to invest it. Where should I put it? Or I'm able to put away the equivalent of, say, $100 every month. I would like it to to earn something. What asset should I buy? Or what asset should I buy this month and next month and so on? And so we never used to really take on those assignments because they were too small, uh, sorry to use this word, but they were not worth the while in the sense that uh, I would take so much time advising an individual, but they would not be able to sort of pay the fees for me to even buy an air ticket back. But while I was at Stony Brook, my university was located in a place where several hedge funds around and several investment funds around and some of my professors were ex-hedge fund managers who worked on Wall Street. And so one of those shops came to school to recruit a team to build an automated investment platform because they wanted to launch a retail strategy. They wanted to go after sort of democratize investing. So I was one of the people that was invited, identified and invited to join that team. However, I could not because it was, it, the requirement was that I drop out of school immediately and then go and start working on this. Yet uh, my status in the US is uh, I should be in school in order to maintain my legal status at it So it planted an idea or which was, oh, you could actually sort of provide this same quality of guidance that you're giving uh, in institutions to individuals if you delivered it over a technology platform. And so that is where the idea really got birthed, uh, observing what was possible in the US and a few other startups had started doing it, but also now uh, mapping it to the demand I was getting back home. People saying, you know what, I, I have a little money, I would like you to help me figure out how to invest it, how should I do? So it was just really figuring out how to put that together. And this is how Zeno came into being. So by this point, anybody who knows anything about the African continent is probably wondering how this actually works. You know, we know that there there is a tremendous utilization of mobile money, but we also know that mobile penetration is not where it is in, in other larger economies like the US, Europe, and, and India to just share a couple comps. I know that you have like a full online version on the laptop, a beautiful website, a gorgeous app as well, but you also have a percentage of your business that is completely done on ussd phones using kind of like a, a number menu system so walk What's us a USSD? through ussd I'll, I'll let aiko it's just like of, an old yeah phone? an old a non-smartphone smartphone yeah okay. yeah just the just the numbers old menuing system correct correct okay. like a chat bot essentially right so aiko talk us through the different parts of how your savers and investors are using your platform and then i have a follow-up question after that it is really simple. Uh, so we built what we call a goal-based investment platform that people use to plan, save, and invest for their financial goals. 
And it really is that. So I think the best way to sort of look at it is imagine you have access to a professional investment advisor. And so you call them up and say, you know what, I'd like to come in and talk to you about my finances. And then I'd like you to guide me what to do. I have this able to save $200 every month. They would invite you to their office and you sit down with them and they would ask you a couple of questions before they give you any advice. This is what any professional would, would do. So they would ask you, okay, so what is your financial objective? So what's your investment goal? How long do you want to invest for it? What's your investment knowledge? What are your attitudes towards taking risks? So based on how you answer those questions, then they will give you that guidance. So we took that sequence and put it on the website, on a mobile app, on USSD, on a feature phone. So essentially, you visit our website, You even if you're not sure what you want to invest for, there's several already well-structured goals, retirement, a child's education, a wedding, if that is an emergency fund. It doesn't really matter. Something that you will be responsible for in the future. So you select any one of those, and then you're prompted to answer those questions. And those questions are customized to every individual, to every goal, to every time horizon, etc. So everyone's answers are going to be definitely different. And then based on how you answer, a risk tolerance is automatically generated that is attached to an investment portfolio that says put 10% of your money in say money market, 60% in bonds, 10% in domestic equities, and 20% in regional equities. So that becomes your investment portfolio. Whether you have $3 to invest or $30,000 to invest. And then a person goes on and sets up an account, makes a deposit, and then they are able to track. We execute in the background and then they're able to track the progress towards the investment goal. So this is accessible on the web, accessible on the mobile app, but also very, very importantly, accessible on the USSD, which, as Eva has explained, is a menu-based system that is available on feature phones, even when you don't have access to the internet. Okay. So here's an admission. I have never been to Africa. You're coming next okay. time, by the way. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I have never been to Africa. That is, you know, something that I I do expect to to change. I know it's <clears throat> growing. I know it's dynamic. I'm going to switch gears here and ask you a question that's not on my question list. For somebody like me, American guy, regular American guy, kind of been to the normal places you'd expect me to have traveled to in the world, lived for a year in Russia. So, you know, I've, I've experienced other cultures. What do you think is the biggest myth about business in Africa. And let's say Uganda more specifically if if there's, you know, too much difference among all the countries. What do you think the biggest myth is for people like me? For the continent in general, these like nothing really happens there. Again, so that's the biggest myth. There's 1.3 billion people. <laughs> On the continent, those 1.3 billion people will have to make a phone call. They will have to suck the internet. They will have to buy shoes. They will have to, yeah. So so that's the biggest thing. There's nothing that happens there. There's a lot of activity, economic or otherwise, that's actually happening on the continent. And there's millions of people involved in this activity. And so then two is uh, it's very difficult to build a commercial business there. Wait, you're saying that's a myth? You're saying it's a myth that it's very difficult or you're saying... Very difficult. So myth number two. Let me number them now. Yeah. Okay. okay. 
Yeah, it's very difficult to build a commercial business there because everything is broken, nothing works. But I guess that's the opportunity. Somebody's really is somebody's problem is your opportunities as well. While nothing exists, it presents the opportunity to build from scratch. And so, yes, uh, the things are broken, uh, but if you're a problem solver, if you're a creator, there's no better palette you could wish for than what is actually available on the continent. And then my industry in particular, which is investment, people say the myth is people in Africa, and I got this feedback a lot, they don't have money to save. Like there's no money. Yeah, they don't like. They're living hand to mouth, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, living hand to mouth. And so that is the other myth. That's not true as well, because while the amounts will be different, people actually do save. And in slightly more non-traditional ways, because what you call traditional is not necessarily available. A money market fund is not traditional in Africa. Even just a, there's a novelty of a bank account. These bank accounts of all sorts of kinds, uh, current accounts, savings accounts, are fixed, fixed, um, fixed interest accounts or fixed deposit accounts, etc. So not everyone has access to that. But then that uh, presents an opportunity as well. So people will save, but they will save collectively together. They just put them either in the workplace or in this in the local communities uh, or in their local churches they will use those sort of social groupings to collectively save for collective goals those are some of the highlights so there's a lot of activity there's a lot of opportunity to build because many things are half built not working well so if you're a creator if you're a builder if you're a problem solver you could not wish for a better place to be in of course there are certain comforts that might not necessarily exist which is fine if you're comfortable with a little bit of discomfort but you're willing to solve a problem africa is the place yeah, that's why I've put a large part of my career there. But I think it's it's such a great question, Ed, to kind of demystify some of these myths. And, and some of the myths that also, as Aiko pointed out, directly relate to his company and what he's building. Aiko, I want to flip to inflation a little bit because I like to tell people that you're in the business of helping your investors beat inflation. And I know that, you know, there's inflation around the world. It does get particularly challenging in emerging markets. And we've seen that. You you taught me that Uganda has less inflation than other East African countries simply because there's so much homegrown food and it is a very fertile landscape. But how does inflation play into your business strategy and the products that you're offering? Yeah, I've, inflation is such the bane of our existence, really, because it is that unseen force that they chips at you without even realizing and you just don't know how to do, go about it. So really, for my customers uh, and our customers and the people that were providing the services to is so important to them now that we're even crossing borders beyond uh, Uganda and Kenya. By the way, we have customers all over the world, including the US, the UK, Australia. Our customer number 45 was based out of Australia. 
The very idea of saving, uh, putting away money, basically foregoing current consumption in order to be able to consume a bit more later has to be sort of rewarded in the sense that there's, there's, uh, there will be a greater amount to, uh, for us uh, uh, to basically deploy later. So investment is like there's no better way. I cannot think of a better way to fight inflation than investing your money. So one of the key things that we discuss with our team, but also with our customers, is that take the equivalent of $100 at the beginning of the year, compare the basket of goods $100 at the beginning of the year buys, and that same basket of goods, uh, that uh, that same $100 at the end of the year buy, the baskets will be different simply because inflation has gone through it, yeah? And so to the extent that uh, you want to buy the same amount of goods, you need to grow that $100 to something. The way to grow it is essentially by investing it. And so what we do is so relevant to fighting inflation we would have everyone as a customer if they actually undertook the right thing to do with that money. It is figuring out for us the challenge, figuring out, okay, what are these instruments, what are these assets that can help our customers, one, stay on par with inflation, if not stay ahead of it. Of course, we've been lucky. Our primary markets have not experienced uh, 20, 30, 40% inflation like you would find some places like Lebanon, ETC. But we've also experienced, I think, over the last one year, we've seen double-digit inflations for some food items, ETC. And so investing your money or investing the savings that you've set aside essentially helps people fight that bane of our existence, inflation. So while in places like Nigeria, they dominantly over the last two, three, four, five years, inflation has been double digit. That has not necessarily been the case in East Africa, Uganda or Kenya. It's just this this past six months that have been really difficult for everyone else because in part of the war in Ukraine and Russia, but we do our best. So, of course, investment is really to help you keep ahead. But if it doesn't keep you ahead, at least cuts the effect of inflation in a half or somewhat like that. Got it. One other myth I think that an investor kind of coming straight into Africa would have is that, you know, end-to-end tech works everywhere. You know, I, I always use the example that I've never interacted really with a person on the phone at Uber. But at Zeno Mm -hmm. and at most of the companies in the Beyond Capital Ventures portfolio, we are looking for tech-assisted models. And so can you talk to us about why it's so important to have a human involved in your kind of process of engaging with your customers? Yeah, so we our product is a, a very high trust product. So somebody has to get over that fear that, oh, I am going to do this, but I might never ever see this money again. <laughs> I'm going to transact over this mobile app, but I might never. And so it's so important to build that trust. 
while we deliver our services over digital platforms, mobile app, website, and USSD, we still give the option for somebody to call us and check on their money or have ask a real question. So we have channels of WhatsApp, on uh, email, on a uh, phone call. We even have a physical office. Any anyway, are required by law to maintain a physical office that somebody can walk to. But the vast majority of our customers never, never walk there. Actually, our very first customer only came to our physical office after three years of investing with us, uh, three and a half years of investing with us. So that's one example. But that should always be an option in order to sort of build that trust and foster or, or at least convey that these actual real human beings that care and with, with the face, with the heart, with the soul behind these machines. Yeah, and I think that that matters. And I've actually downloaded your app and had interaction with team members as well. So even if you are not... In Uganda, you can download Zeno and kind of get a look and feel for the product as well. Just coming back to the banking crisis in the U.S. and Europe and Switzerland, you actually were the person uh, who I was sitting next to when I when we read the headline that Silicon Valley Bank had failed. Because you're in this space on the continent, how has, has that played out? Has it been a theme for the investment world in Africa? Just curious what the ripple effects could have been. The first one is being an entrepreneur in the technology space. That has had ripple effects in the sense that I think uh, the first banks, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, has played a significant role in the tech ecosystem, not only in Silicon Valley, but across the world, including in Africa. I think they led a round of... uh, a company that was uh, founded by a Ugandan swell and and so many others across the continent. And so that just that flow of capital is going to affect so many technology companies, setting aside the fact that quite a few of them had uh, maintained accounts with them a very hairy couple of days. And so to that extent, there's just a little bit of a chill going through the technology uh, ecosystem. But aside from that, of course, there is the effects on the capital markets. And it's just really compounding a very what has been a very difficult six months or eight months or one or 12 months for the international capital markets. And of course, though for Africa, some of these ripple effects are kind of lagged in the sense that they don't happen in real time at as you would find, as they would be happening here. I mean, the effects here won't necessarily be seen immediately over there, but over the long term, even if there's a lag effect, there's going to be an effect, risk of effect in the in the financial markets. And when typically when there's a risk of effect in the capital markets, there's a tendency to invest in treasuries. And investing in treasuries is essentially pulling money from emerging markets that affects the valuation or the prices uh, that assets are commanding. And so we will see quite a bit of that in the equity markets and maybe also an increase in the yields in the fixed income markets, in the bond markets, in the emerging markets, because again, investors that would otherwise have participated, there's not enough of them. And so there's just a few people that are driving yields up. Got it. I think I think it's good to have a global perspective as well for our listeners. So let's dive into our rapid fire questions. Let's do it. 
What book is on your nightstand right now? That's Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? Coffee. A man after my own heart. Yes. Well, he's also <laughs> East African, so a lot of coffee's grown in East Africa true? too. Uganda, Kenya, yeah. I don't know if you would argue, Aiko, that Ugandan coffee is the best. He's the largest coffee producer in Africa. Yeah. Name something that's giving you hope right now. That would be night follows day, day follows night. This is just an economic cycle. Uh, we are in the downtown. It will be followed by an uptown. It's a great time to be investing. Yes. <laughs> what is one trend you are watching in your industry? What are the diamonds in this downtown? What are the diamonds? Yeah. There's a lot to pick. There's, uh, there's a few diamonds. There's a couple of diamonds, actually. Uh, everyone is taking cover, and we are just out there looking for those diamonds. Yeah, you got to have the liquidity for that. All right, here yeah. we go. Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on current events in your industry? That would be The Economist. <laughs> it's, a, I, it's a Beyond Capital podcast favorite. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Beyond Capital podcasts too. Oh, I would say, thank you. oh yeah, I would say <laughs> The Economist too. That's what I would say. I would say the same. Yeah. yeah. What is the best way for you to unwind? Jazz music, live jazz music. Because I love New York. And then I, I, and then I play jazz guitar. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. All right, so what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Assuming you're not 21. <laughs> Take at least a picture. There is no picture of me in the twenties. I, I, I did not. There is no record. I didn't exist in the twenties. In my twenties, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> right. We'll have to yeah. unpack that on a future episode. So before we let you go, Aiko, would love to just kind of unpack a little bit more about you as a leader. You run a company. And uh, how many employees do you have now? We have 31 full-time employees now. Oh, wow. Okay. And you're growing. So how do you cultivate a, a culture that reflects your company's mission and purpose? For us, it's really important and it's been important for me that my company, in a sense, is uh, an expression of my personal beliefs and values, for good or bad. <laughs> and so uh, I fundamentally believe in the, in the goodness of the human heart, of course, but also human beings so capable of changing uh, their destiny and so to the extent that we can help that and uh, our mission made it our mission to really help people be the best versions of themselves that have in, by having the financial resources to pursue the careers and the aspirations that they want for themselves for their children for their family and so we take a lot of time to reflect. And uh, we went through an exercise. For the, we fortunately, been really, really fortunate to have a great group of people with me, but also fortunate to stay in the game long enough to develop a culture deck. Not many people get to that level. So a culture deck that defines our mission, our objective, our purpose, why we exist. And so we take a lot of time to reflect on that. And we have quarterly checking to reflect on our culture, on our purpose, but also why we are here doing what we do with 
this bunch of people. So just a time to reflect on that periodically and it's structured. And so that's how we sort of uh, build and inculcate that uh, strong culture and cultivate it across the team. Thank you, Aiko. I know that goes also extends out to your customers and you're looking for, to help them have better lives. And I'm really grateful and honored to be your investor and amazing to have you on the show. Thanks for being here with us. Excellent. Thank you for hosting. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter. And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram.